right. Certainly appreciate that tonight. If you will, go with us to uh, Revelation chapter number 19. Book of Revelation chapter number 19. Get turned on here. Revelation chapter number 19, back in our study on uh, the last days. And uh, was interested uh, in these two songs Brother Marvin picked out tonight, 162, being living by faith, always have loved that song, and it always intrigues me. Verse number one says, I care not today what tomorrow may bring. Well, that's peace, isn't it? To be able to uh, live a life as a born-again believer, un unsure what tomorrow brings, but uh, at the same time, not to care what tomorrow brings, not to worry, not to have to worry uh, about tomorrow. Then this song he's saying, I'll be satisfied. And I thought a lot today about being satisfied with God, uh, to be satisfied with my salvation, uh, to be satisfied with my Savior. Can't be satisfied with herself, but we can be satisfied with her Savior. Shouldn't be satisfied with herself, Amen. We ever get satisfied with herself, well, we are in trouble, right? But uh, thought about dying today, and I thought about this matter. We've been dealing with the last days, and as we talk about the last days, we've been looking through our statement of faith, and we've been talking a great deal uh, about the coming of the Lord, what all that entails for the church, what the church could be expecting, and uh, what the church is to look forward to. And uh, there's a lot in the Scripture that we should look forward to, uh, the, the writings of John uh, in the book of Revelation, not a hidden book. The word tells us uh, the, the name of the book itself means a revealing of. Uh, the Lord has unveiled some things uh, for us to be able to read and to look forward to. I believe that it is imperative that uh, you know, a lot of churches, a lot of people shy away from the book of Revelation. It's a fearful book. It's a book in which they have a hard time understanding because they've not uh, really understood how to study the book. And I don't claim to be a theologian by no stretch of the imagination, nor do I claim to have it all figured out. But I do know that the Lord did not give us the book of Revelation to shy away or run from it. That the Lord is trying to show us something. And uh, the Bible teaches, as we're going to learn in the book of Proverbs tonight... Uh, we don't have to turn there yet, but in Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 18, the Bible says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And so it's good for us to be interested and to want to know what the book of Revelation uh, is saying. All right? It's also interesting that John, uh, being on the Isle of Patmos, was on the Isle of Patmos because he had been exiled for who he was, for what he believed, what he taught, uh, everything that, the, that John was with the Lord was what got John exiled and put on the Isle of Patmos. And so you'll find today that it's going to continue to get worse, uh, that if you associate with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you associate with his teachings, if you believe his word, if you use the word of God for all things in final authority and all things faith and practice, that uh, you're going to be looked down upon and quite possibly at the rate our nation is going uh, be put in a predicament or, or judged by this world uh, negatively because of your beliefs. But 
uh, we look at the last days in the light of the end times, and we consider the church and the end times of the church. That's the, when the church age goes out, and we're looking th- towards that of the kingdom age, right, where the Lord Jesus Christ will rule and reign uh, from Jerusalem for a thousand years on the throne of David. And, uh, but today, the Lord just kept dealing with my heart as I thought about the last days, the end times, the, the end of your days. I thought about what it is for an individual to die. I thought about what it is for each of us to have to lay this robe of flesh down, for it to die, for us to end. Our days are coming to an end. If God doesn't tell Jesus Christ in the next little while to come get the church, you and I will have to die because it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that death, the judgment. So all of us are going to have to face this thing called death. Now we understand that if we look at death in light of scripture, death means to close our eyes and to, for this body to go away, but we understand our spirit will go somewhere. Now you do understand we will be given a new body. Those of us that are saved by the grace of God, if the Lord Jesus Christ were to come tonight in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, we would be changed, Brother Marvin. We would not be the same. And so I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. I would not be able to worship the Lord and glorify the Lord the way that he deserves to in this body. This body will go away. But we do understand that if the Lord does not come in the, the next few years of our life, we will have to lay our life down. Our life will go away. Our eyes will close in death. And we understand that. So I thought about dying. Now, dying for the individual that's lost and does not know Jesus Christ in the free pardon of sin, that's a bad situation to be in. Amen. Now, tonight, we look at it in the light of salvation, and you and I who have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we repented of our sins. We know that we were nothing, that we are everything we are, we are because of Jesus Christ. We called upon the name which is above every name. That's a different story. We find that in the book of Revelation, how the Lord deals with the church differently than those who are lost and never accepted him as their, as their personal Lord and Savior. And we see a difference there. But I want to look at what it is to be saved tonight, born again, on our way to heaven, yet to find out that there's still uh, a division in how a dying man that is saved by the grace of God looks at death. Now, the church, those that are scared of the book of Revelation, those who are, would, would say, ah, you just don't worry about the book of Revelation. That's not for us in this time. Are missing out on a great blessing of looking into the future and seeing the magnificence of what it is to be with the Lord Jesus Christ as the bride of Christ. We were looking at Revelation chapter number 19 and have been. And uh, I want to read that portion of scripture again by way of remembrance. But Revelation 19 and verse number 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And last Wednesday night we were emphasizing the consummation of the marriage. Now that might make some uncomfortable and we're not going to go back through that Again, it is interesting to me though. Have you ever noticed how a lot of words that are used in today's society that causes the Christian to cringe when people in society use it are most of the time actually Bible words? They're just used in a manner in which was not appropriate. And so a lot of your curse words today are words that are used that were taken out of the scripture uh, and bastardized or used in a negative manner. 
And so it's amazing to me that when we start dealing with things of consummating a marriage or things like that, that everybody cringes and gets the woolly boogers and acts like we're talking about something we shouldn't be talking about. What's happened is the world we live in has perverted God's design. And uh, so we have to be careful when we use these terms and we use this, uh, these words that we do not use them in the way that the world uses them, but that we assign to these words a biblical definition which God says is good. Amen. And so we, we're going to look at this again for just a moment, but we were talking about the consummation of the marriage. What it is when we look at marriage for there to be a betrothal period, but yet they're not to have the marriage ceremony. And we understand, and I'm careful how I say this, there's some things that are allowed after the marriage ceremony from a man and a woman that is not allowed during a betrothal period. Amen. But we find that after this situation has occurred and the marriage ceremony is over, there can be a physical relationship between uh, the bride and the bridegroom. And God says that it's good. It's by design that way, right? The, the Lord didn't say be fruitful and multiply if he did not intend for a woman and a man to come together and to know one another. So we cannot say that that's ugly. We must say that it's a beautiful picture of something that God designed, but it must be dealt with in the confines of Scripture. And God says that it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing for a man and a woman to know each other in the biblical sense of the word as long as it is done appropriately by Scripture. It's actually a beautiful picture now. We talk about Ephesians chapter 5 and we link that of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church. And we say that, uh, that we can look at the husband and the wife relationship. And it's there to help us compare the husbands, I mean the, the bridegroom being that of the Lord Jesus Christ to that of the church. We, we parallel those two. So some beautiful things we see about the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and the church can be assigned to that of the home. But we look at there's some things in the home that can be assigned to that of the Lord Jesus Christ and that of the church. Now we know that according to scripture that we're not perverting the word of God when we talk about consummating the marriage. But we're not talking about a physical relationship between Jesus Christ and that of the church. So what is it that the physical relationship, this church killing me, what is it that the physical relationship is emphasizing? Just simply the, the, um, the act of being with the Lord Jesus Christ after the marriage ceremony is going to be something that you and I mentally can understand because a, a, a person that's in the betrothal period that's maintained their virginity cannot comprehend what that is going to be like once they are married and on their own with their spouse. God didn't intend for you to. Right. So all you can do is have a big question mark right there. And I don't mean that to sound bad either, as if you're sitting around pondering that thought. I'm just saying there's a question mark there. There's something in your life that's not present that you can't comprehend. And you and I, as the church today, cannot comprehend what that part of the relationship is going to be like when we get to see him as he is and enjoy that seven years of honeymoon, if you will, with the Lord Jesus Christ before he rules and reigns. Isn't it amazing? Listen, you think about marriage today. There's a honeymoon phase, is there not? Always a honeymoon phase. And so you, you automatically just assign that phase or people get married, the ceremony's over, off on the honeymoon. Just them, nothing else in the world, you know. It's just the bride and the bridegroom enjoying each other's company, uh, allowed to, to, to be with one another in a way that they weren't before. Jesus Christ says time out. There's a seven-year time out period where the world's going to endure some judgment. 
But the church is just going to be with Jesus, enjoying the Lord Jesus Christ for a period of seven years. Then we find that Jesus Christ comes back. It's time to get down to business. But notice that the Lord Jesus Christ brings back the church with him. All right, so as we emphasized all that, we were talking about the consummation of this marriage. I thought about the betrothal period again for, for just a little while. What it is to anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we look through the eyes of scripture and you would have to agree with me that if we look at it in the way that the Bible is portraying it to us, it's going to be a magnificent time. But you and I can't fully comprehend it apart from the eyes of scripture because we've not experienced it. We have nothing to base it on. All right? So here's what are you, what are you saying. I'm saying that John was given a revelation. We emphasized at the start of this, back in Revelation uh, chapter number 1, when John said, I, John, in chapter 1, verse number 9, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, notice that. Why was he on the isle which is called Patmos? Well, you know, for everything that man does get bad against somebody, God can do something good with it, right? For, for what the devil meant for evil, the God, God meant for good, right? So why was John on the isle of Patmos? John was exiled away from the world, sure, but he was never closer than he was to Jesus Christ this day. Now, John knew what it was to know Jesus Christ. John understood what it was to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. But even after Jesus Christ has ascended and gone to heaven, he still has never witnessed what he witnessed when he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So isn't it amazing the, re the revelation that is given to John? John, the world would say, was on the Isle of Patmos because the world did not want John. The world did not appreciate John. The world didn't like the message that John brought. But why was he in the, uh, the Isle of, which was called Patmos? The Bible said here, uh, in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, he was there because of the word of God. Man put him there because of the word of God. He taught and preached the word of God. We understand that he was there for the testimony of Jesus Christ because he testified of Jesus Christ. He said Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He, he, he preached the, 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 about Calvary. He told people about Jesus Christ. That's why he was on the isle which is called Patmos. But he was also on the isle which is called Patmos for what? For the word of God. God put him there for the word of God. We have a portion of the word of God because John was exiled. We find here that for the testimony of Jesus Christ, what is the book of Revelation? It's a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just Jesus as the lamb which was slain, but Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. So he endures tribulation as a man, but he endures revelation as a born-again believer, one that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, having been in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, you and I could not understand the Scripture apart from being saved because it is something that one has to be saved to be able to comprehend, right? But I'll say this, we wouldn't have this portion of Scripture from John if John hadn't been saved and knew the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're, we're seeing something here. But it's interesting because when you get to the end of the chapter, as we've stated, he makes this comment here. Uh, John makes this comment, even so come Lord Jesus. That is Revelation 22 and verse number 20. So in all of his hardships, trials, troubles, everything that he endured and went through as a man, 
when he was revealed, when it was revealed unto him, this revelation given to him by the Lord, we understand that he was excited, Brother Marvin, about seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this. When we talk about the church being raptured out, we, we talk about it in the, in the mindset of excitement. But you allow somebody to get a diagnosis which is not good, then it's not an exciting time. And I want to deal with it for just a minute. We look at, we look at a diagnosis in the eyes of, of devastation. And I don't know if you title this message the devastation of, of diagnosis, but I'll say this. When somebody gets a bad diagnosis, they become devastated. But have you ever noticed there's, there's, a, there's been a few in life that one can recall that got a, a diagnosis. And uh, the, the reality of that did set in, but you find that they seem to never lose their, their joy. They, they would get to the place of actually crossing over. And there was a level of excitement because somewhere along the way it had been revealed unto them what was awaiting for them on the other side. Now it's not always good enough just to hear somebody say, oh, I've got something waiting on the other side. But when you personally get in the scripture, when you personally have a relationship with the Lord, when you personally see what waits you on the other side, it should be exciting. And there's a reason why a lot of people struggle uh, with, with literally dying and make it a terrible, terrible, terrible experience. I would say this, there's most of the time something lacking spiritually. That does not mean that there's rebellion. That just means that it's possible you could be focusing all your attention on one thing that is worldly. Can I say death? That first death is here because of the world. When you focus your attention on that first death, instead of the absence of that second death, you get so intrigued and caught up by what you're going to endure that you cannot appreciate what is to come. And it's always amazing to me how some people can be dying yet be such an encouragement. I've heard pastors say, well, I, I went to the deathbed of so-and-so. And I've come to bring them a word of encouragement. Yet when I left, I was more encouraged than when I came. There's something that's real about salvation. Something that's real about knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin. But to, to understand heaven for what it is and to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. No woman wants to get married to a man that she hates. No man wants to marry a woman that he despises. But you find a man that wants to marry a woman and a woman that wants to marry that man that's going through this period of time where they've not yet been able to go to the marriage ceremony. They've not yet consummated the marriage. You know, all that stuff's still out there in the future. There is a level of excitement that builds naturally. When you are, are absent, when your relationship with that in whom you're betrothed is going the way that the book says it should go, you're maintaining your purity. You are, are choosing not to be with that person physically because the Bible says that it's fornication and it's wrong. Then what happens is by holding off and waiting, you are allowing the Lord in due time and in due process to give you a gift that he is wanting you to enjoy it. And to enjoy it in the manner in which he is offering it to you. And, and so what I'm saying to you is there's, a, there's an exciting moment in time. Yes, everybody's looking for that day when that bride can, can adorn uh, in that beautiful white dress and come down the aisle. And everybody there is ooing and awing over that one that looks so beautiful that's coming down the aisle ready to take her vows 
uh, to the bridegroom. It's a, it's a special day. It's a unique day. It's a day that a lot of times you'll hear people say that it's every girl's dream, you know, that wedding day. And they'll plan that wedding day their whole life. Now, I'm not that way. I don't know about you. I didn't plan that day my whole life, you know. But what I'm saying to you is this. The, 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 the woman, she's anticipating. She's expecting. Listen, she'll do it. And she'll draw. And she'll write. And she'll make plans. And she'll shop every wedding dress that there ever could be. And, and everything's got to be just so-so and just right. And it's just, a, it's just a tizzy waiting on that one moment in time. Can I say to you, being saved by the grace of God, knowing that we are a spouse to that of the bridegroom, it should be that way. We have not experienced Jesus Christ like we will. We understand that there's a great emphasis on maintaining the purity of the physical relationship, right? Not to give yourself physically to that of the betrothed because you've not met that time where the ceremony is done and, and then you can consummate. So Jesus is not revealing to us everything that there is to know about what it is to be a spouse and to consummate the marriage. We only have a question mark. But that question mark, that mystery is there for the level of excitement that it should bring. For when we study and we consider and we look, there are some things that we do know. There are some things that we can see. And it should cause us to be excited about that time in our life. You find that people get the mully grubs. They get down in the dumps. Now listen, I don't have a diagnosis today. I could have one tomorrow for all I know. I might be eat up today with something that could kill me in a week. I, I don't know. And so I'm not trying to preach beyond my years or preach beyond my experience, but I'm trying to preach within the confines of the Scripture. And I'm telling you this, every one of us, although we may not be there today, we are, we are dying people preaching to a dying world. Amen. And we ought to live like we're dying. See, people don't start living like they're dying until they get a diagnosis. I have news for you. The Bible's already diagnosed it. It's appointed unto the man who wants to die, and after this, the judgment. And if you've never been saved by the grace of God, you're going to lay yourself down on these days and die, and you're either going to make heaven your home, or hell is going to be your home. But I'll say this, I'll never have to suffer that second death, because I've already got that took care of. Anything do I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about this first death. That's, we have to blame that on sin. We have to blame that on what we inherited. Amen. All right. So having said that, though, dying spiritually, dying spiritually will cause your dying, your literal death to be a terrible experience. Listen, there's a lot of people that say by the grace of God tonight that's dying. Amen. We're all dying, but there's some that's been given a diagnosis. They've, they've put a time frame on death. And that one that's got the time frame on death is, is enduring a terrible experience. You know why that is? Because there's something lacking spiritually. You know what you can do to encourage that loved one or that, that one that you care about, that friend that's been given a diagnosis? You can take them what thus saith the Lord God. Because, you know, there's nothing this world can do to change this. There's nothing this world can offer to bring comfort. There's nothing. When we go to the, when we go to the funeral home and, and we preach and we try to bring comfort, there's, the only comfort you can have, friend, is telling a lost and dying world that if they don't get saved, they're going to go to hell. But if they get saved, they can be with Jesus. That's the only comforting thing that you can bring somebody that's lost at the, at the funeral home looking at a loved one that's gone on. 
Why? Only comfort comes from the Lord. That's what the Spirit of God is, might I remind you. The Bible said the comforter would come. The comforter. There's no comfort apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. His word, we understand, will comfort. You know what we need to do? We need to put people in remembrance of what it's going to be like to be with the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. For where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now it's interesting because if you kind of look at this verse of scripture and you take it in its context, vision is linked to that of the law. You and I cannot understand what it is to see apart from the word of God. Vision is anything which is the object of sight. John did not have this revelation until the Lord gave it to him. John did not see it in this fashion when he walked and talked with the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me to Acts chapter number 1 for just a moment. I want to read you a verse of scripture here. Acts chapter number 1. Okay, Acts chapter number 1. Verse number 8. Actually, I want to look at verse number 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, what were they beholding? They were looking at Christ, listening to him tell this, uh, these verses, say these things unto them. The Bible said when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. Now, they had never witnessed that in that fashion. So the Bible says here, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, he's going to come. We're looking at the clouds today, are we not? We're waiting for, looking for a hole in the sky for the Lord to come back. He's coming back the way that he went. But I want you to notice what they've done. They were mesmerized. They were taken back by what they were seeing. The Bible says when they had spoken these, while he, while he, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Notice, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven. You know what steadfast is? It's, it's unmovable. We're supposed to be steadfast and unmovable in the faith. We're not to have our face shaken. We're not to be, we're, like the, we're supposed to be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters where our roots run deep, where the wind may blow and take the top of the tree to the left and the right because the, the roots are run deep. The tree doesn't topple over. And so we're finding here that when we look at this word steadfast, the disciples were looking and they were mesmerized. Jesus has ascended. He's going up in the cloud as if it opened up, Brother, uh, Brother Marvin, and received that of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're in awe. They were in shock. That's the same way we'll be when he comes back to get to church. It's going to be, be mind-boggling. We're not going to be able to understand it. It's a question mark today what that's going to look like. But notice here the Bible says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? 
Now listen, they're, they're awestruck. They're mesmerized. They can't believe it. But listen to what's being said to them. The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. As mesmerized as you were by his leaving, that's how mesmerized you will be by his coming. So we, we wait upon it in great anticipation. But we do not wait upon our death with great anticipation. We fear it. We fear it. Why do we fear it? Because we're not seeing what it's going to be like in its truest form. Now, how do we see it? Because we've, we've not yet been there. We've not yet endured it. We've not yet gone through it. There's a sting to death, you know. Why? why? It's that question mark of not knowing. But I'll say this. We don't have to know everything to know it's going to be wonderful. To know it's going to be glorious. We, we, don't have a, we, we need a vision. We need a vision of it. Now listen, where there is no vision, the people perish. What's that mean? When we don't understand the law, when we don't understand the word of God, when we don't apply the scriptures to everyday life, we find that a lost and dying world is continually lost and dying. Where there is no vision, where there is no understanding of the scripture. We understand the vision here is linked to that of the law. How do we see? We see through the eyes of scripture. How do we have unwavering faith through the scripture? The scripture, the scripture, the scripture. We must have the scripture to see what God is wanting to say to us. This is looking uh, at it through the eyes, looking at life through the eyes of scripture. What thus saith the Lord? What does scripture say? Where there is no vision, the people perish. So would you say tonight that it's important to have a vision? John had a vision on the Isle of Patmos. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The vision done something for John that you and I are gleaning from today. It'd be good if you and I, it's like we, might, we not, may not have a diagnosis, you might have a vision. You know what you do? You help take that vision to that one that's got a diagnosis. You know what you do to encourage someone that's got a diagnosis today of death? Just encourage them in the scripture. So, well, they don't want scripture. Scripture's the only thing going to help them today, friend. Amen. Scripture's the only thing that's going to help me and you. We're looking for help on the world side. We're in trouble. You know why a lot of people are getting so destroyed uh, mentally and internally when they find out they have a diagnosis? Because they're looking at the world, Steve. Yeah. People looking at what they're missing, not what they're gaining today. We're not missing one thing, friend, Amen. when we leave this walk of life. We're gaining everything. Amen. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. How could Paul say that? One that was consenting unto death. One that was killing Christians. How could Paul say to live is Christ but to die is gain? You go to a man or a woman that's dying that has a diagnosis and tell them that. That doesn't make them feel warm and fuzzy inside. Why? I'll say part of it is there's a spiritual problem right there. Now that sounds mean and that sounds inconsiderate but it's the truth. You, you get a bad diagnosis and your mind don't instantly go to the scripture. Your mind don't instantly go to salvation. Your mind don't instantly go to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Your mind goes to what you're leaving behind, what you're missing. And you fail, the devil tries to beat you out of what you're actually gaining, friend. To make your life days on this earth a living hell on earth. It amazes me that a born-again believer's last days can be a literal hell on earth because they allow the devil these last few days that they're here to fill their mind full of the things of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Forget the world out of your mind. Focus your attention on what thus saith the Lord and what it is to be with Christ for all eternity. It'll change your perspective. Now, I know preaching this way is difficult because a lot of times the preacher has to endure what he preaches. 
So I hope I don't get a diagnosis tomorrow. But if I do, I'll tell you this, point me to the Scripture. Just point me to the Bible because it's the only thing that's going to help me. All right, so what are you saying today? Well, there is no vision, the people perish. How is it that Paul said to live is Christ, but to die is gain? I want you, if you will, to go with me to uh, first, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Now, we were here, uh, I believe, Sunday night, but I want to look at a portion of Scripture that we did not deal with. Now, we're talking about this in anticipation of what is to come. We're talking about this from the mindset of what it is to anticipate but not to have yet received. Now, if we, well, let me find my right, the right paper here. Go, while you're holding, look at Revelation 19 again for just a moment. The Bible says here in Revelation 19, 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in, in fine linen, clean and white, for fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now, the last time we dealt with this, we talked about that of being clothed in what the Lord provided for us. All right? And uh, I told you at the onset of this, if we, if we, if we got tongue-tied, we'd come, back and, we'd come back and straighten it out. It's not wrong to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before his shears is done, so he openeth not his mouth. We look at it and understand that Jesus Christ was humble. He humbled himself, but they stripped him of his garments. Now we know nakedness is synonymous with sin. We've talked about that before. And we know that Jesus Christ, not only was he brutally abused, not only was he beaten, not only was he bloody, not only was he mocked, not only was he looked down upon, sped upon, but they stripped him of his garment. He was as a sheep that was sheared. Of its wool. We understand that the Lord in Genesis chapter number 3 put clothing upon man because man had sinned and man knew and understood they were naked. And so he killed an animal and he put the skin or the coats of that animal on mankind, right? Now, there was, there was clothing before there was separation. But now we see that there's clothing before there is being, before you're brought back to that and reunited uh, as, a, as a human being, as a body, uh, to that of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the human, uh, humans make up, that are saved make up the church, and that church body is given to that of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? But we find that we're clothed in something. The Bible says, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now, I'm interested in this because the Bible says in Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Wool. Jesus Christ died for mankind. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But because he shed his blood, you and I had the ability to be clothed. Our nakedness covered. That sin covered by what Jesus Christ done. Understanding the lamb is a twofold animal. It's not only to be killed for that of meat. But it's also to be sheared for that of wool to cover or to clothe that of a human being. And so what are you saying here? I'm saying that we looked at that, but it goes deeper than that. We see the question mark. We see the anticipation when we consider the clothing. I missed this the other night when we were dealing with it. And the Lord brought this back to my attention. I want to call you to Deuteronomy chapter number 22 and verse number 11. We were talking about being unequally yoked. We were talking about the donkey and we were talking about the horse and we were talking about the mule being a hybrid. 
And we're talking about seed that was sown was not to be integrated, if you will, with other seed, that there were to be no hybrids, right? And we look at the Levitical law, we look at these things, but when you look at Deuteronomy 22, the Bible said, Thou shalt not wear a garment of diverse sorts, as of woolen and linen together. The Bible says you are not wearing the wedding garment yet. No, the Bible don't say that. I said that. I read my notes. You're not wearing the wedding garment yet. But you are, you are waiting upon that wedding garment. You are waiting upon that wedding garment. Thou shalt not wear a garment of diverse sorts as of woolen and linen together. So here's what I'm saying to you. What are we clothed in right here in Revelation 19? And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Right now, we've not yet wore that wedding garment. We've not consummated the marriage. We've not yet made it to the marriage ceremony. We're not wearing that fine linen yet. We are what we are because of the wool that was shed. The wool that was peeled off of the Lord Jesus Christ so that our sins could be covered. You understand what I'm saying to you. But we've not yet put on that wedding garment. The day that wedding garment goes on is the day that every, every bride is waiting upon. See, they've anticipated. They've wondered. They drew, they took pictures, they cut out pictures, they pondered, they are excited about what it's going to be like, but the experience hasn't come yet. So here's what I'm saying to you, that, that diagnosis is devastating to some, but they're not anticipating, they're not anticipating that day that they will see the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? So go back with me quickly to 2 Corinthians, you've probably never left that, I'm all over the place, but 2 Corinthians Chapter number 12. And I want to emphasize how Paul could say to live is Christ but to die is gain. Now when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. The Bible said it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to what? Visions. And revelation of the Lord. Now we understand that a vision. Where there is no vision the people perish. Is contextually talking about the law. The word of God. There's more going on right here with Paul. Notice what's going on here. It is not expedient for me to to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Not just visions, but revelations. The vision was going to come from the Lord showing him something that he had never seen before. Now, understand, Paul was Saul. But Paul was down on the road to Damascus one day and the Lord revealed himself unto Saul. Saul got saved by the grace of God, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ as he was. Not, not visually looked at the face of God, but had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Got saved and his life was changed forever. So this is a man that saved, has the spirit of God, yet still is fixing to see something he had never seen before. Now, you better be careful today in 2021 listening to somebody that says they're saved by the grace of God, yet they've seen something they've never seen before. God showed them some revelation they've never been seen before. Most days are gone, friend. Well, let me show you what happens to Paul. He said, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Now, it's interesting because that almost sounds like he knows somebody else. It almost sounds like Paul's talking about another human. Why, why is that? Well, you've got to understand what just happened in the chapter before chapter number 12 in verses 24 through 29. Paul starts talking about all the things that he's dealt with. For the shame, the Bible said of the Jews, five times received thy forty stripes, save one. 
Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck a night and a day I have been in the deep, and journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and faithfulness, and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. It's amazing. He, he emphasizes his dealings with the church among all these things that happened to him. I mean, his, his dealing with the church, you know, that those that are saved by the grace of God, it's linked right in there with all the other things that he's had to endure and go with. You don't think dealing with the church can be uh, uh, temperamental from time to time. You're messed up, you're thinking. But what he is saying here is he's dealing with all these things that he's endured. But then he makes this statement in chapter 12, verse 1, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Why is 14 years ago emphasized? Now, I've never paid any attention to this. 14 years ago is in the Word of God for a reason. It's a reason, it's a time stamp. You need to realize that. Paul, as he's writing to the church of Corinth, is putting a time stamp on something. What does a time stamp do? You put a time stamp on something, Brother Marvin, it takes you back to a place when something happened, an event. Paul's gone back to a place. Now what is this place? It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into the paradise, in the paradise and heard unspeakable words which, is, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth me, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. What's he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. Right here he makes it plainly clear in chapter number 7, or verse number 7 of chapter 12, that this man, that he, he knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell him without the body, was himself. But if you'll notice, he's looking at himself in the third person. You ever notice that? Not in the third person. That'd be like me telling my children about a story that happened to me in my youth. and say, I knew a man one time. You ever tell a story that way? Or I, I knew somebody that done something one time. And, and you start telling the story. You're talking about it in the third person. Why? We need to look at this time stamp. 14 years prior to this epistle is the approximate time that he had his first missionary journey, Brother Marvin. I never paid any attention to that. What happens? Go with me to Acts 19. Or excuse me, Acts 14, I believe. Let me, let me get there and make sure I'm right. Acts chapter 14. Now, let me ask you a question. Who wrote the book of Acts? Was it Paul? This was not a Pauline epistle. The book of Acts was written by Luke. That's important because it's Paul who's talking to himself in the third person. But we're going to find a story that is told here that's not told by Paul. But it's about Paul. Now look, at, look with me here in uh, Acts 14 and verse number 19. 
The Bible says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul. Now what was it Paul was just talking about prior to chapter number 12 of 2 Corinthians? He was talking about all the things and all the perils and all the things he went through. So if you'll understand here, his mindset has been all along as he's gone through this, the things he's suffered. As he's talking about the things that he's suffering, he goes right into chapter number 12 as he writes to the church of Corinth and starts talking about this event in the third person. Who 14 years prior to the writing of this uh, epistle had endured something. And that was his first missionary journey. We find here in verse 19 of Acts chapter number 14, there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city. What's that mean? They dragged him. They drug him. Drew him out of the city supposing he had been dead. In other words, they were dragging him convinced he was dead. Now, you don't know if Paul actually died or if Paul was just almost dead. Can I say to you? Paul don't know either. Because he's talking about this event. Paul's not sure if he died or if he was alive and the Lord just showed him something. But he knows what happened to him. It isn't something that happens to everybody. Now, this is interesting. Because he said, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city supposing he had been dead. How be it? As the disciples stood round about him. So, they drug him out thinking he was dead and left him. And all the disciples, Brother Shane, are just gathered around him like this. Marvin, is he dead? Shane, I don't know if he's breathing. That's the mindset. They're all gathered around him. But here's what happens. Albeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came to the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. <laughs> Listen to me. You take a beating. That puts you in such a predicament that they don't even know if you're alive. You don't get up the next morning feeling good about it. Yeah. If you beat me to the point tonight that you literally cannot tell if I'm alive or dead, I'm not getting up in the morning and riding to the workplace and just putting in an eight-hour, 12-hour day. I'll be laid up in the hospital over at UT in intensive care, Brother Donnie, hoping that I live to be see another day. So regardless of, of whether or not he was dead or alive, the Lord done something miraculous and spectacular in Paul's life that he went from people thinking he was dead to getting up the very next day and going on for the glory and for the honor of God. That's what he's talking about when he talks about this particular time stamp of 14 years ago. Now let's look at it. Now that we understand what he's talking about and why he's talking about himself in the third person, the Bible says, I knew a man in Christ, verse 2 of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body. Now to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. The reason he doesn't know if he was in the body or out of the body is because he's seen some things in the presence of the Lord that the Bible teaches is lawful for man to utter. Now, how is it to live as Christ but to die as gain? Paul had a vision. Paul seen something that convinced him that to live is to suffer like Christ. Oh, but to die is gain. Paul wasn't devastated in a diagnosis. Paul says that to die is gain. Why? Because he's seen something that you and I aren't seeing. 
And if you want to not be devastated in the diagnosis, you better get your nose in the book and start seeing what it's going to be like to be with Christ. And I tell you right now, friend, it will take your minds off of what you're missing and put it on what you're gaining. Because the things of this world is for nothing. It's vanity. It's for naught. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. That's all that matters. Paul saying, I'm not going to waste my time trying to figure it out because God knows. I was unconscious. I don't know. Whether he was dead or whether he was knocked out, he don't know. He said, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. First of all, how is it not lawful for a man to utter? Because God told him so. God said, don't speak of it. Don't talk about it. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, notice with me real quickly, and I'll be done. John, was seen, was, he's seen a revelation. It was through the Spirit. John was allowed to write. John was allowed to tell. Paul seen a vision, but he was told not to speak of it. But whether he spoke of it or whether he didn't, did not change the outcome that the revelation had on his life. John sent a revelation and to write about it and said, even so come Lord Jesus. John sent a revelation and it changed his life. Paul sent a revelation and was not allowed to write about it for he could, that he did not want to be seen as glorying in himself. What I've accomplished, what I've done. But the outcome of the revelation still had a lasting effect on Paul because he said to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And the reason that Paul could say how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have taught you and showed you publicly and from house to house is because Paul seen something that drove him on. And he never lost the vision. I want to say to you, if you could ever get a vision of what it is, friend, to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. You too, like Paul could say, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I will lay this robe of flesh down, whether I go by the grave or whether I go by the rapture. To be with Jesus, friend, is the ultimate prize, and that is what I'm seeking after, friend. Essentially, what I'm going to say to you is this. He did not have the mindset that a diagnosis was devastation. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. What was he thinking about? He understood. He knew that the crown would be something that he'd give back to his Savior for what his Savior had done for him. I believe in all my heart Paul seen things in that revelation that John too did understand. And he understood what it was going to be like to be able to see Jesus, to be in the presence of Jesus. I believe, Brother Shane, after having seen Jesus, 
He longed to be with Jesus. There was a void in his life to know that he had to come back to this earth, to know that he had to stay on this earth, having understood mentally what it was to be with Jesus, pained him so that he made the comment that I am here for you. To live is Christ. What did Christ come for? A lost and dying world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul said, I'm only here to, to help uh, those that are lost see their need for a Savior. But to die is gain. Would it not be a wonderful day when you and I got so removed from this world that we could say without lying, without it being a cliche, without it just being a spiritual saying, that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We'll raise our hands and say, I'm glad to be saved. Then we get a diagnosis and we get in the mully grubs and the dumps. Listen to me. I know, I know it sounds like I'm preaching beyond my years, and I am. I am. I'm not denying that I am. But I'm telling you, I've been reminded today what it is to know that this little life that we live that the Bible calls a vapor, that in the grand scheme of things is just minuscule. There is an eternity that waits. There is an eternity that waits that you and I could be with the one that died for us. Never to be away from him ever again. And it's going to be so glorious that you and I will not have time to think about those of whom we were married to upon this earth. Because we will not be given in marriage as we were upon this earth. But we're being given to the bridegroom to be with him for eternity. And you won't waste your time thinking about what was on this earth. You'll feel all your time for eternity will be filled with dropping your knee and magnify that name which is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you take that wool off and you put on that fine linen, if the Bible says that you will in Revelation chapter number 19, you're going to get to witness something and be a part of something that your mind today Cannot even fathom. Tell you what drove Paul. What drove Paul was he had vision. And I'll tell you what drove John. John had vision. John said, even so come, Lord Jesus. Whether you're waiting on him to come to you. Or whether he's waiting on you to come to him. Regardless of how you're going to get there, friend. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'll say this, if you've never accepted Jesus as we all stand to our feet, sister, come to the pen. I don't normally do this on Wednesday night. I want to I have an invitation. Let's all stand to our feet tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Can you say that to live is Christ, to die is gain? See, Jesus died on a cross. A lot of us have this mindset that, that dying is Christ and living is gain. We think death is something we have to endure. Friend, death is, the, is, the, is what's prior to you being in eternity with your Savior. I don't really know. I, I'll be honest with you. I struggled a great deal with this today. Well, I, in one sense I did and in another I didn't. I asked the Lord, said, Lord, who in the world could that message like that on the last days be for? I don't know. I don't know what the Lord wants to do with the message. That's not my place. But I'm telling you this today, whether you've been given a diagnosis or not, you better get removed from this world. You better kick the world aside and start looking for visions and revelation. Say, Lord, never give me a revelation. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Very last book of the Bible. <laughs> oh, yeah. The revelation that he gave John on the Isle of Patmos, friend, when he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, is the same revelation that's been given unto you, friend. And you have the ability... 
to look into the pages of the holy written word of God and get a vision and to see what it will be like to be with him for all of eternity. Friend, if diagnosis is bringing devastation, you better get back in that Bible. You better get back in that Bible. The Lord, the, the devil's going to rob you of what days you have ahead, friend, of being what God wants you to be. There's a lost and dying world that needs to see you die with grace. There's a lost and dying world that needs to see you draw your life's breath, putting faith and hope in the one that died for you. Do not let Satan rob you of being what God wants you to be.